0: listening to the Sermon Podcast of Brockport First Baptist. We are a progressive American Baptist congregation located about 20 minutes outside of Rochester, New York. To learn more about our church and support our ministries, please visit Brockportfirstbaptist.org. The scripture reading this morning, the bread from heaven, can be found in your pew Bible on page 55 to 56 if you choose to follow along. It is Exodus 16, verses 1 through 31, and verse 35. The whole congregation of the Israelites set out from Elam, and Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai. On the 15th day of the second month, after they had departed from the land of Egypt, the whole congregation of the Israelites complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. The Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the flesh pots and ate our fill of bread, for you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, I am going to rain bread from heaven for you, and each day the people shall go out and gather enough for that day. In that way, I will test them, whether they will follow my instruction or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather on the other days. So Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, In the evening you shall know that it is the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your complaining against the Lord for what are we that you complain against us? And Moses said, when the Lord gives you meat to eat in the evening and your fill of bread in the morning because the Lord has heard the complaining that you utter against him, what are we? Your complaining is not against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, say to the whole congregation of the Israelites, Draw near to the Lord, for he has heard your complaining. And as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the Israelites, they looked toward the wilderness, and the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. The Lord spoke to Moses and said, I've heard the complaining of the Israelites. Say to them, at twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall have your fill of bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God." In the evening, quails came up and covered the camp, and in the morning, there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the layer of dew lifted, there on the surface of the wilderness was a fine flaky substance, as fine as frost on the ground. When the Israelites saw it, they said to one another, what is it? For they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, it is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather as much of it as each of you needs, an omer to a person according to the number of persons, all providing for those in their own tents. The Israelites did so, some gathering more, some less. But when they measured it with an omer, those who gathered much had nothing over, and those who gathered little had no shortage. They gathered as much as each of them needed. And Moses said to them, let no one leave any of it over until morning. But they didn't listen to Moses. Some left part of it until morning, and it bred worms and became foul. And Moses was angry with them. Morning by morning, they gathered it as much as each needed. But when the sun grew hot, it melted. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much food, two omers apiece. When all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, This is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you want to bake and boil what you want to boil and all that is left over put aside to be kept until morning. So they put it aside until morning as Moses commanded them and it did not become foul and there were no worms in it. Moses said, Eat it today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is a Sabbath, there will be none. On the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather, and they found none. The Lord said to Moses, How long will you refuse to keep my commandments and instructions? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you food for two days. Each of you stay where you are. Do not leave your place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. The house of Israel called it manna. It was like coriander seed, white, and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. The Israelites ate manna 40 years until they came to a habitable land. They ate manna until they came to the border of the land of Canaan.
1: Thanks, Bobby. So we're starting a new teaching series today called Manna Economics. And full disclosure, this is a stewardship series. Um, if uh, Stewardship, first, is basically a fancy Christian word for giving. And uh, if you've been part of the church for any length of the time, you've probably heard a stewardship series or two at some point. And honestly, they're not usually done that well. Like, full disclosure, they're not, they're not always that great. A lot of times, um, stewardship sermons either take the form of, like, this vague, sort of shallow teaching that you should just be more generous, which is probably true, um, but really not all that deep and not all that uniquely Christian. But then other times, stewardship series can basically be like a guilt trip, where the central message is that you need to give more money to the church if you want to be a good Christian, which is a little self-serving, I think. Feel self-serving. That's a joke. You can laugh at that if you want. There you go. Cue laughter. Excellent. So um, if you know me at all, you, if you've been around here for like the last year or so, you probably know that we're going to talk about stewardship a little bit differently. And what I really want to do together for the next five or six weeks is explore the economic system of ancient Israel. How did the Israelites understand stuff like money and stewardship and debt and wealth? How did they deal with poverty and all the tricky little disparities that come with economics and money using uh, flowing in a society? What was their economic system like? And what wisdom can these centuries old scriptures of ours shed on our own grappling with economic questions today. That's what we're going to talk about in this series for the next month or so. And we're going to start with manna in the wilderness. Show of hands, how many people have heard this story before, the manna in the wilderness story? That's a lot of you. Yeah. This is a classic Bible story. This is like flashback to Sunday school. The Israelites are in the wilderness having just escaped slavery in Egypt. The parting of the Red Sea, where Moses holds up his staff and the waters part and the Israelites escape on dry ground, and then God sends all the waves crashing down on Pharaoh and his armies, that just happened like two months ago. This is the next story. And the Israelites find themselves free, but they're starving. They're in the wilderness where there is no food or water, and they're starting to complain. Why has God brought us out here to starve? Couldn't God have just struck us dead back in Egypt where at least we had food? So God tells Moses, I'm going to rain down bread from heaven for you. And each day the people will go out and gather enough for that day. And then the next morning the Israelites go out and they find like this frost on the ground or this dew. Once the dew lifts, there's this like flaky frost-like substance that they scoop up and they bake into bread that they call manna. And manna literally means, what's this? The Hebrew pha- phrase manna or manu, um, it literally means, what is this? Which, word of advice, if you ever find something on the ground and you have to ask, what's this? Probably don't eat it. <laughs> I, think, I think this is one area where we don't have to apply the scriptures too rigidly to our lives. Because I've got two kids under the age of five, and trust me, you'd be amazed what they pulled off the ground and tried to eat. It's, it's scary stuff. But this is a really famous story. Manna in the Wilderness is like this classic miracle story from the Bible where God comes through for the Israelites in this like supernatural way. But, 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 but. What often happens with a story like this is we domesticate it. We write it off as this one-off miracle, this really cool thing God did 3,500 years ago, and we neuter it. We negate any impact it might actually have on our lives today. Manna in the wilderness is one of the, the fundamental, foundational stories of ancient Israel. Scholars pretty much agree this is one of the oldest stories in our Bibles, and it's a story that lays the groundwork for the entire economic system of the Israelites, Economics is about resources. It's about figuring out how to get things we need, like food and clothing and iPhones, to the people who need them. Economics is about establishing a means of production, a system of like buying, selling, trading, a system that allows societies to thrive and flourish. The Israelites are given really specific instructions in this story about how much manna to gather, when to gather it, What to do with it? How to distribute it? What not to do with it? How you bake it into bread? These are all economic questions. And the answers to these questions lay the groundwork for Israel's economy. Now, economics is a major part of our lives. Um, It really always has been, but especially today if you watch the news or if you follow politics, economics is, is a big topic right now. There's a huge debate going on in our country right now over which economic practices and systems we should be following. Um, Candidates for presidents are having, having to answer questions like, do you consider yourself a capitalist, which is not a question we were asking like eight years ago. A lot of terms are being thrown around like democratic socialism, democratic capitalism, which is apparently a thing now. And Christian leaders are even getting into the game. They're kind of wading into the debate. There's this headline I got up here from a few months back. This is from a a Christian newspaper hailing the biblical values of democratic socialism. That's one example. And then earlier this week, there was another headline about a pastor in Texas who says, socialism and Christianity are incompatible. So Christians are wading into this debate. And I think that's actually a good thing because the Bible has a lot to say about economics. The Bible has a lot to teach us about how to structure our society economically if we want to please God. And here's probably the most provocative thing I'm going to say in this entire series. Get ready. We're recording, right? So, no, I'm just kidding. Here it is. Man-made economic systems are morally neutral. Neutral. There's this tendency in our culture, and most Christians have kind of fallen into this thinking too, that we always have to pick one side in these debates and then just rail against the other. So it's either like capitalism is evil and socialism is the way to go, or socialism is evil, capitalism is the way to go. And I think the truth is that man-made economic systems are morally neutral. They're all flawed. They can all be used for great good and terrible evil. That's true of capitalism, that's true of socialism, that's true of every economic system I've ever studied. They're all limited. And I think economic systems are limited, fundamentally, because they ask the wrong question. (coughs) Excuse me. If you begin with the wrong question, it doesn't matter what answers you come up with, it doesn't matter how good those answers are, how well they work, they're still going to be askewed because you're asking the wrong question. And the question, the flawed, limited question that all these systems start out with is how do we manage scarcity? How do we manage scarcity? There's an assumption with a question uh, question like that that there's just never going to be enough. No matter what we do, resources are too limited, Supplies are too scarce, so how do we manage this scarcity to keep our society from tearing itself apart? All economic systems revolve around this question. They answer it in different ways, though. Capitalism uses, like, market forces, right? Like the invisible hand of Adam Smith, flashback to Econ 101. And that's what manages scarcity. And then socialism answers the question to the state. Right, the state gets involved, establishes means to reappropriate wealth and things like that. And those are both potentially great answers to the wrong question. The story of Manna in the Wilderness introduces the only divinely inspired economic system I'm aware of with a fundamentally different question. Not how do we manage scarcity, but how do we steward Abundance. How do we steward abundance? God has already provided everything we need. Here's how to steward it. See Egypt, where the Israelites escaped from. That was a scarcity-based system. Quick Bible quiz. Um, does anyone remember what it was that took the Israelites to Egypt to begin with? Like Joseph, or sorry, Jacob and his sons. The patriarchs of Israel, why did they end up in Egypt in the first place? Does anybody know? Famine. Famine. Absolutely. It's a sharp church. I love it. You guys know your Bibles. There was a famine. Food scarcity landed the Israelites in Egypt because Egypt was the only place that had food. Which, by the way, the reason Egypt was the only place that had food was because Jacob's other son, Joseph, the guy with the coat of many colors or the technicolor dream coat, if you're a Donnie Osmond fan, Joseph, who was himself a slave in Egypt, he helped the Pharaoh steward the abundance of the years leading up to the famine so that Egypt would have food. The Israelites settled in Egypt where there was food and they stayed there because it was comfortable. But they began to grow in number, and then a new pharaoh rose up who didn't know Joseph and who feared the Israelites because there were too many of them. What if they overtake us? Scarcity. So pharaoh enslaved the Israelites, and for 400 years, they worked as slaves under a scarcity system, being given just enough food and water to get by, having to build bricks day after day for pharaoh and his building projects. 400 years in a system of scarcity will do something to you. It'll change you. It'll mess up the wirings of your imagination. We see that right at the beginning of this story, manna in the wilderness. The Israelites are still operating with an assumption of scarcity. They want to go back to Egypt. Why do they want to go to Egypt? Because there's no food Never mind what happened to our ancestors last time we went to Egypt when there was no food. We'll take the known scarcity of slavery over the unknown of the wilderness any day. So God has to rewire the imaginations of the Israelites. And for 40 years, God is going to travel with these people through the desert, reworking them, programming them away from a scarcity mindset teaching them a new way to be human, a new way to operate as a society with each other, with their culture, with God. And the very first step is manna from heaven. Now, in this passage, God gives a ton of rules and regulations about what they're supposed to do with manna. I kind of felt bad having Bobby read it all because there's just so much. It feels tedious. But it's really important because all these instructions, all this fine print... It's part of moving the Israelites from a scarcity mindset to an abundance mindset. First, they're going to have to trust God to provide. God's response to the Israelites is crystal clear about where their food's going to come from. I will feed you. I will rain down bread from heaven. You will have meat in the evening and bread in the morning. And you will know that I am the Lord your God. I will feed you. Not here's how to feed yourselves, or go back to Egypt and let Pharaoh feed you, or I've given you Moses, a new Pharaoh who can feed you. No, I will feed you. God will feed you. Everything we have, the abundance of our lives, it's all a gift from God. We like to take credit. Sometimes I actually start to believe that it's all my hard work, my sacrifice, my effort that like puts food on the table and a roof over my head. But it's really a gift. And our first job as God's people isn't to labor. It's not to produce or provide or manage or earn. Our very first job is to trust. Trust God to provide. The next stipulation the Israelites are given is take only what you need. Reading from verse 16. <clears throat> this is what the Lord has commanded. Gather as much of it as each of you needs, an omer to a person, according to the number of persons, all providing for those in their own tents. The Israelites did so, some gathering more, some gathering less. But when they measured it with an omer, those who gathered much had nothing over, and those who gathered little had no shortage. They gathered as much as each of them needed needed. You're in the desert. There's no food for miles, and bread from heaven has just rained down on the ground in front of you. My natural reaction would be to take as much as I can, to hoard it. I'd be stuffing it in my shirt. If you've ever seen Animal House, there's that scene with Belushi in the cafeteria where he like piles up his plate and then he's shoving sandwiches into his pockets. That would be me. But the instructions are crystal clear. Trust God to provide and take only what you need. Imagine how much different life on this earth might look if we all only took only what we need. The United States has this habit where we like think of ourselves as a Christian country, or at least a country of Christians. I think three-quarters of our population self-identifies as Christian. And yet our country, which is home to less than 5% of the world's population, uses 25% of its natural resources. We have not been taking only what we need. The third stipulation God gives the Israelites is no hoarding. This kind of fits with the last one. God's very clear that these people are only supposed to take what they need for the day and nothing extra. Some of the Israelites disobey and they gather extra, and then by the by the evening it's like rotten, it's gone rancid. No hoarding, with one exception. The Sabbath day, which is our fourth and final stipulation. Rest. Something special happens to the manna that falls on Friday morning. The Israelites are told to gather double this time, and this time it doesn't go bad. So on the next day, the day of rest, the people don't have to toil and work to gather food because God has already provided everything they need the day before. Trust God to provide. Take only what you need. No hoarding. And rest. Those are four principles that cut completely against what you're going to learn in economics class. But that's the blueprint for Israel's economy. All of Israel's laws about wealth and poverty and money and debt, and we're going to find in this series that they had a lot of laws about this stuff, it all boils down to these four things. Trust God to provide, take only what you need, no hoarding, and rest. This is what it looks like to move from a system of managing scarcity to stewarding abundance. And make no doubt about it, we are living in a scarcity system. You could probably argue that every civilization has been a scarcity system on some level. Anywhere you look in our world, you're going to find voices reinforcing a mindset of scarcity. It's in our politics. It's on the news. It's in marketing and social media. Even a lot of what passes for religion in our world is really grounded in the mindset of scarcity. Locking kids in cages? 300 children in a cell that was only designed for 100 adults, that's scarcity. Refugee kids given less than six square feet of personal space, that's scarcity. The mindset that says we don't want these people here, taking our jobs, using our resources, mooching off our system, that's scarcity. And if you think that's too political, or that maybe I'm ripping this story out of its context, remember why the Israelites ended up in Egypt in the first place. They were refugees seeking asylum. And within one generation, they were rounded up, put to work, hard labor, enslaved for 400 years. It only took a generation Economics is about way more than money. It's way more than personal finance. Stewardship is about more than just giving money to the church. Economics and stewardship is about how we choose to order our society, how we treat the least of these, how we treat our neighbor, how we manage our own wealth and resources. Will we give in to fear? the threat of scarcity that's reinforced by all the voices in our society day after day? Or will we accept the invitation and the freedom that comes with God's call to steward abundance? Let's pray. God, deliver us. Deliver us from our fears and insecurities. Help us to put our trust in you. Remind us of your faithfulness. The ways you've sheltered us, protected us, provided for us time after time. Help us to find release from our anxieties, Lord. And to trust in your provisions. Empower us to take only what we need. Deliver us from the tendency to hoard our resources and our compassion. Slow us down, God. Help us to find rest. Thank you for being a God who calls us away from scarcity and into abundance. Give us the courage to follow. Amen. Thanks
0: for listening. If you enjoyed what you heard, please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. You can connect with us on Facebook at Brockport First Baptist, on Twitter at Brockport FB, and on our website, brockportfirstbaptist.org Our theme music was composed by Scott Holmes. This has been a production of Brockport
1: First Baptist.